welcome. Today's reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 30 to 50. And you can find that in the Church Bibles on page 1013. So that's Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 to 50. Jesus predicts his death a second time. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung round their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be sorted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Let's pray as we come to God's words. Father, we thank you that your word is good. Thank you that it comes from you, our eternal God, who speaks to us with just as much clarity yesterday as today and will do tomorrow. And Father, we pray uh, this morning that you would give us a greater uh, encouragement and conviction about your goodness and help us 
to walk in your steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I wonder if you ever found yourself asking this question at any point in your life. What, what is life going to be like when? Uh, maybe you're at school, uh, you know, you're in primary school and you're thinking, well, what's life going to be like when I get to secondary school? You know, when I start moving to different classrooms. Or maybe even now you're looking ahead thinking, what will life be like when I can drive? can have the, the freedom to go where I want, to do what I want to do. Or what will life be like when uh, I move home and get a job and I don't have to ask my parents for a chocolate biscuit? That's kind of a, not a great thing, though, sometimes. But anyway, uh, you know, what will life be like when? Or what will life be like when I retire, when I get rid of this rat race and I can have more free time to myself? What will life be like when? Questions that we're trying to grapple with and consider. Well, in our passage this morning, as we heard those different segments, it might have felt a little bit like Mark was just chucking down some random topics. It's like, I've got to say this. I don't know where to put it. Let's just stick it here after Transfiguration and a bit later on. But no, this is not sort of random together. No, this is Jesus teaching us what is life going to be like? following Jesus? What is life going to be like following Jesus? And this is Jesus teaching us on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, just keep a finger in that passage and flick all the way to the inside cover where you can see the map. Uh, there's some helpful maps in the Bible. And on that, that map, this is Palestine in the time of Jesus on the right-hand side. Let's just take a gaze as to where Jesus is and where he's going. So uh, we learn in 827 that he's in Caesarea Philippi, which you can see is right at the top of the page there. And then in chapter 9, verse 30, uh, we see he's in Galilee, so he's coming down. Now, chapter 9, verse 33, he's in Capernaum, uh, right by the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, and then in chapter 10, verse 32, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's coming down. If you see Jerusalem right in the middle. And then 10.46, he's by Jericho, just at the top of the Dead Sea there. In other words, uh, Jesus spent most of his time up in Galilee, and now he's on his way down. He's coming down to Jerusalem. Uh, Indeed, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9.51, it says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, And the purpose for that is that he's headed to Jerusalem because he knows... That's where he's going to die. He knows that is the place, verse 31 of our passage, where the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Or more accurately, it is going to be delivered to humanity. That's the place where Jesus is going to be hung upon the cross. And this is the foundation For our very Christian life, the Son of Man goes to Jerusalem to die. He dies at the hands of humanity. But here's the thing. He doesn't simply die at the hands of humanity. He dies for humanity. Humanity delivers Jesus to death and Jesus delivers humanity to life. 
the benefit of his death will be given to the ones guilty of it. And this is the foundation of all that we do. This is the foundation of the very Christian life, that we are saved, loved, forgiven, because Jesus goes to the cross for you and for me to make us his daughters and his sons. But yet whenever Jesus tells this to his disciples, they just never get it. You might remember a few weeks ago uh, when Phil was preaching, he, he was speaking of Mark chapter 8. And Jesus the first time says, this is what's going to happen. And then Peter pops up and says, no, it won't, Lord, and starts telling him off. They just don't get it. And then here, chapter 9, verse 32, Jesus just told them what's going to happen. Verse 32, but they did not understand. Or again, the next time in chapter 10. Jesus tells them again what's going to happen. Straight away, James and John start saying, oh, can you give us what we want? They just don't get it. They just don't get it. And there's this stark contrast between the divine wisdom and humility of the Lord and the foolishness and arrogance of humanity. So Jesus uh, gathers them together to teach his followers what it means to follow the crucified Savior. He's going to teach us what life is going to be like when we follow Jesus. Uh, And this section is all about following Jesus. And it's dedicated towards his disciples. Have a look at verse 31. Because he was teaching his disciples. At verse 33, they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. Not not a house, the house. A a very specific house. Probably a a private dwelling of one of the disciples. This is not a public event. This is private. At verse 35, he called the twelve. Verse 36, he said to them. This whole bunch of teaching is focused upon the disciples. In our language, it's focused upon Christians. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, this is for you. This is for you to have an insight as to what life looks like following Jesus. If you're somebody who's not a Christian here today, then then please don't just switch off. Keep listening. But rather listen as sort of looking through a window, looking at a glimpse of this is what Jesus came to do. This is what life following him looks like. And this section is going to help us to see this is what a life following Jesus looks like. And the first thing he tells us from verses 33 to 38 is to be a servant. Be a servant. Jesus just told them what he was going to do. Verse 31, he's going to suffer and die. And the very next thing they're doing is arguing about who is the greatest. In Jewish culture, the idea of greatness and position was was pretty prevalent. You know, where you sat at the dinner table meant something. Where you came in the pecking order meant something. You know, greatness was was a big deal. And that's what they're arguing about. Well, who, therefore, is the greatest in God's kingdom? And then Jesus asks them this question, verse 33. Well, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that question, it kind of seems like the sort of question where he's not really asking what they were doing. He knows already. 
It's the question a parent asks when they, they fully know what they were doing and just want to unpack what they were doing. Now, what, why did you do that to your sister? Or what were you doing? What did you say to your sister? Or, it's the moment when Jesus, without raising his voice, just pinpoints exactly what's going on in their hearts. You can almost imagine a disciple saying, I wish he shouted at us. And they can say nothing. They're silent. And so Jesus gathers them. He sits down, which is the traditional teaching position. And he says, verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. See, Jesus is saying true greatness is not found where you're sat or what you do. True greatness is found in servitude. And then he gives a practical example, verses 36 and 37. He, he takes a child. Now, uh, in our culture, uh, children have a, a much higher standing than they did back then. We kind of, we very much want the best for our children. We, we will often put ourselves out of the way to benefit our children. That wasn't the case here. Indeed, in a culture that had high infant mortality and heavy labor demands, people couldn't be too precious about children. And so children were seen actually as, as just a, the lowest of the low, really. Slaves are beneath them, but not much, many things below them. And so Jesus here is taking uh, the lowest person and welcoming them in. I notice here that unlike Jesus' other parables, where often he takes a child and say, be like this child, the focus is not on the child, but the one welcoming the child. It's upon Jesus. Jesus is saying he takes the lowest of the low and he says, be like that. Welcome those who are the outsider, the refugee, the alien. And as you do, actually something amazing happens. Because as you do that, you're actually welcoming me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. Jesus here completely redefines greatness. And so, so must we. In a world that is dominated by the rich and the strong, by the qualified and the important, by the well-known and the famous, uh, those are the ones who, who call out greatness and who our society gravitates towards. Uh, Jesus says, no, uh, true greatness is not found by being at the top and being the best, but by being the servant. True greatness is giving up time and energy for others and nobody knowing. True greatness is uh, not asking what can I get, but what can I give? True greatness is serving because that's what Jesus did. Uh, my godmother, Margaret, was a, a lovely, godly lady. And, uh, she had no qualifications to her name. Uh, her terraced house was a bit of a mess. But every day she'd write letters. She'd write letters to people just saying, uh, I hope you're well, thinking of you. And I'm praying for you. And nobody knew about that 
other than the person who received the letter. And probably the Royal Mail at this point as well, because there are so many of them. <laughs> but that's greatness. Serving because she loved. She was a great lady. So what will that mean for us? Where does this hit home for us? Maybe it is, if you can, coming to, to Tiddlywinks to give up an hour or so on a Wednesday morning. Uh, going to coffee stop or serving on the coffee rotor. Uh, going and helping the children's groups. Uh, maybe it means uh, giving our resources and our treasures to the, the appeal for Afghanistan or, or Ukraine collections that are going on. Maybe it means actually uh, taking time out of our day to make sure we pray for those things. Maybe it means that after this service, we don't rush away. Now, sometimes there are very good reasons to rush away. That's fine. But sometimes we do it because it's easier. Maybe it's just hanging around and looking for people that we don't know. and Just saying, sorry, I haven't met. Taking time. Not so people think we're great, but so we can serve. Jesus says, uh, be a servant. That's what life following me will be like. But also, he says, uh, be open-hearted. Be open-hearted. Um, I wonder if you've had the situation of uh, being in a room, uh, and then very obviously there's a group in that room that you're not part of. There's a bit of a clique going on somewhere. That's sort of them and us almost happening. Maybe, actually, and unfortunately, I think it's probably true for me, I think I've been in that group. I've probably excluded people. Hopefully not intentionally. But I reckon for most of us, we have some experience of that situation. And that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. Was not one of us. He's not part of the group. He wasn't one of the 12. He's not part of the elite. I mean, Jesus, you've got to stop this. And what does Jesus say? Don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, is for us. Christians have a really bad habit of speaking down and badly about other Christians. We've got to stop it. When I used to work for UCCF, they had a, a really helpful phrase, which was to be uh, hold the gospel as tightly as the gospel demands and as openly as the gospel allows, or demands, I should say. In other words, yes, we want to hold to Christ. Actually, uh, these are people who are working in his name. That doesn't simply mean maybe people who call themselves Christians, but those who, who work with the gospel, he, who he is. That's what it means by his name. Uh, we see that three times. Uh, verse 38, verse 39, verse 41. Working with the gospel. But so what if people look a bit different to us? If they have candles, if they have smoke machines, if they have long sermons or short sermons. If they're working for the gospel, don't, we must simply not speak badly about them. Verse 31, we must actually do good to them. Let's not use our words to criticize or encourage Let's not spend our time pulling others down. Let's build them up. All those that are working for the good of the gospel, 
Let's be open-hearted. Let's hold the gospel tightly, but let's be open uh, with our view of who is doing gospel ministry. Jesus says, a life following me will be being a servant. It will mean being open-hearted. And thirdly, it will mean saying no to sin. Verses 42 to 48. I don't know when you heard those words that Heather was reading. The tone sort of got a bit serious, didn't it? Because these are serious and hard words. Uh, The image of verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, and by little ones, he doesn't mean children, uh, he means Christians. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for them if a large millstone was hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. It's a tough image. Now, we imagine that Jesus still has John's uh, sort of pride in his mind when he's talking about this, because John's pride at saying, they're not one of us. But we can't just leave it and say, that's just John's problem. No, this is a warning for all of us. If we cause others to stumble by our words or our deeds, and by stumble, we mean sort of fall away in faith, either permanently or or just find it hard to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying it would be better for us to be cast in the sea with a stone around our neck. We've got to be careful. Brothers and sisters, our words and deeds matter. The words we say matter. We, we must be, our words must be those that love and build up, not tear down. Let's not bite. But then secondly, we must not simply be aware of making others to stumble. We ourselves must take sin seriously because the consequences are awful. When we read those words, Jesus is saying, look, it's better to cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, than go into hell. And the language he's using, he's, he's not trying to, this is not a, uh, this is what you must do. He's using hyperbolic language to, to make the point. He's saying, look, it would be better to cut off limbs, be better to self-mutilate than to go into hell. He's not saying actually do it because actually it wouldn't even work. He's saying, look, we have to take sin seriously because sin deserves hell. And that word hell is not a word that we hear or use often. But Jesus here uses it three times in three verses. And the word hell is a word called Gehenna. And Gehenna is referring to a place that's just outside Jerusalem. It was a rubbish dump. It's a rubbish dump that was burning constantly. It was a rubbish dump where worms would have been eating, maggots have been present. And Jesus says, if you want a picture to describe hell, then think of that. Think of that. And that's what our sin deserves. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's simple. Our, our hands, what we do, 
our legs, where we go, our, our eyes, what we see, the, the most basic points of life. It would be better to have none of those than to go to hell. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, do we believe that? Do I, do I believe that when I, uh, I say something or I look at something or I do something, that it's that bad? When we go to Guernsey, uh, the kids love going here. Uh, it's the sweet shop. Um, understandably, it's the best shop, the shop in the whole island. But, but that's what I sort of think sin is. When I see sin, I don't see kind of like a, a big nuclear symbol that says, do not enter. I see a sweet shop, something that looks good, something which I think actually is going to be quite good for me. It's going to be quite fun. That's what sin does, isn't it? No one ever thinks, oh, this is bad for me. Sin promises, but it never delivers. It looks delightful. And so it says, indulge. It's okay. It doesn't matter if your words hurt somebody. It doesn't matter if, if you look at those pictures that you shouldn't. It doesn't matter if you uh, go to that place. It won't hurt you. But we must not be fooled. Sin is death. And it always is. And because of that, you will never, never regret following Jesus. Never. You'll never say, I wish I hadn't done that. No. Plenty of times the other way. But never regret following Jesus. So what is life going to be like following Jesus? Well, just as we draw to a close, Jesus gives us an encouragement and a challenge, which is those two funny verses at the end, verses 49 and 50. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it make it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. The fire there that Jesus is talking about is, is moving on, not from the fire of judgment that he's just seen in talking about hell, but the fire of trial and testing. And he's basically saying, look, uh, you will be tested in life. You will uh, have opportunities to serve or not. You'll have opportunities to do good or not. You'll have opportunities to, to run away from sin or not. And if you do, then you will be distinctive. You will be like salt, making a difference in the world. But if you don't, you're worthless, like salt that's not salty anymore. Jesus is saying this is an all or nothing thing. You can't just uh, dip your toe into following Jesus. Are we going to follow after him today? Or are we going our own way? Uh, I wonder as I've been speaking, where is the Lord putting his finger? Where does this work itself out for you? Is it in service? Is it in our view of other Christians? Is it in our approach to sin? Is it all of them? Um, but let me close with this. See, following Jesus it is not about forging a path unknown. It's about simply following after Jesus. 
Just think of perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world he gave. Uh, The Lord Jesus left his, his home in heaven to come amongst us, to live and die for us, to serve us, to die upon the cross for us, to experience our pain and judgment, to bring us into his kingdom. He served us. He is the servant. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes, he came for all people, not just for some, and I'm so glad of that. He came for all to say, look, all can come. And all that believe and trust in me are part of my family, from Afghanistan to Ukraine to Hove. He came for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. He came to make us not have to go to hell, to not experience hell, uh, both in its small terms today, but also most certainly eternity in the future. To save us from our sin. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, that is yours today. Jesus is yours today, and that will not change. Nothing can take that away from you. And he's saying, now come, follow me. So let's go. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. Uh, We thank you that it, it reminds us that Jesus is the one who served us and loved us. And Father, we pray that we therefore may go and follow him, being a servant, being open-hearted, running from sin. Because that's not simply the right thing to do, it is the best thing to do. And that is where life is found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.